Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. If this is your first time here, welcome to Connect Church. We are thrilled you've come to join us. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, I've had actually a rather strange week. I'm going to tell you about my week. So uh, Monday of this week was a, a very special day for me, a very unique day. So on Monday of this week, September 24th, um, it was 24 years and 110 days since I'd left England to come to America. June 6, 1994, 24 years and 110 days had passed uh, in that period of time. Now, here's why that's a unique uh, amount of time, because when I moved to America in January 6th of, uh, June 6th of 1994, for what was meant to be a short visit, I was 24 years old and 110 days. So Monday of this week was literally the halfway point in my life of time spent in England versus time spent in America. And some of you right now are thinking, you are so sad. How long did you spend working out? A long time, I did. I, spent, I was on a website that calculated time and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, but that meant that Tuesday morning when I woke up, I would have lived more of my life in America than in England. And it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a strange feeling. I was, I was a little anxious. I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little anxious that I was going to wake up the morning and, and have this desire to put ice in my tea, which would be an awful thing to do because tea is obviously meant to be served hot with milk and sugar. I was worried that I would start parking the car in the garage, uh, which would be terrible because obviously you put your car in the garage, uh, which just as a little side note here, damage, savage, ravage, Garage, come on! It's, have you thought about that before? So you can think about that later. So, um, so it's true. So it's an odd day waking up, realizing that now I've lived more of my life in the United States than in the United Kingdom, and I love it. I love living here. I love being a, living in Washington. I love my wife. I love my family. Uh, I love life right now. It's just awesome. So, but it's kind of a unique day. So, so that in itself was kind of unique, just thinking all through those emotions. But, uh, but with that, I posted an article about this on Facebook, just talking about this this transition time in my life. And uh, one of the guys who commented on that Facebook post, a friend of mine by the name of Ken Williamson, back in England, he said, his quote, his post was, what a journey you have had, Dave. And it was so true because it has been an amazing journey over the last 24 years. And what was really cool about Ken posting that was he was a big part in that journey taking place. Ken Williamson was the director of a ministry program that I was on in England called Ace Teams, and Ken was the guy who, who saw something in me and recruited me and said, hey, uh, there's a church in America that wants to start Ace Teams up, and I think you could do it, and he, he inspired me to want to do it. When, we, when I arrived here in America in 1994, he would come and visit and help me kind of get this program up and running. He was a mentor. He was an incredible man, just, just poured into my life. So you can imagine how shocked I was when we were sat for dinner on that Monday night. We get a call from a mutual friend to say, Dave, you're not going to believe this. We've just got news from England that at 64 years old, Ken Williamson just had a massive heart attack and passed away. This was just hours after he'd written on my Facebook post. It was just devastating. So this, this crazy week of these, these things happening. But what it's done is it's caused me to, to think back to that time in my life when Ken was a really big part of my life and I was a part of this ACE Teams program. 
And I'm going to talk about this guy, Ken, a little bit more at the end of the message because he's such an inspirational guy and he's, he's just had a lasting legacy in my life, made a huge impact in mine and Casey's lives. But it got me thinking back to, to life 24 years ago when I moved here to America. I can remember being on this program in England before I came to America called Ace Teams. And we were at this Bible school. And um, while we were there, now I need to explain to some of the younger members of the audience, this was the, like the early 90s, uh, kind of early 1992, 93. Uh, so we didn't have cell phones, okay? And anyone that did have a cell phone, all it had on it was numbers, because you could just call people. That's what you did with phones. No screen or any, you know, that was it. So um, we didn't have cell phones. There was a no TV rule. So we're living in this kind of secluded area, no TV. And it was just awful. It was terrible. We had nothing to do but just walk around outside in the country. I mean, how, how do we survive? But we did. And... Um, at this particular college, there was an old library, and I found myself in this library quite a lot because I had a lot of time to kill. So um, I remember finding this old book in there. It was a small book, and it was an autobiography about a man by the name of George Whitfield. I'd never heard of George Whitfield before, but it was a short book, and I had lots of time, so I thought, I'm going to sit and read this book. And I did. From cover to cover, I read the story of the life of this man, George Whitfield, and it just blew my mind. This guy was amazing. He lived back in the 1700s, and, and uh, he was an incredible guy. He was actually a British preacher who traveled a lot in the UK, but he actually came to the US a lot and uh, just preached the gospel of Jesus. Thousands would come out to hear this charismatic, energetic speaker. And it wasn't his looks that would draw the crowds. We've actually got a picture of George Whitfield we can put up here, okay? Even in a wig, this guy didn't look great, okay? So it wasn't his, um, his looks that were bringing in the crowds. This is George Whitfield. There were no Snapchat filters in those days, apparently. <laughs> That's exactly who he is. So he had these cross eyes, and it said of George Whitfield that as he was preaching, no one really knew for sure where he was looking, and it reminded me, I had a teacher at school called Mr. Kirby who had the similar situation, cross eyes like that. And uh, I can still remember, I was like 10 years old, he got really mad at us one day and he was standing in front, he goes, you, you, stop messing around, you, stand up right now. Stand up. And two kids on opposite sides of the classrooms both stood up. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, what? you sit down, you stay st <laughs> Brilliant. You see, the reason Whitfield was so captivating to his audience was in this particular time, his collared contemporaries were reading dry moral essays from the pulpit. Whitfield, on the other hand, he preached like a cage fighter. He was known to cry and dance and scream during his messages. There was an actor back then by the name of David Garrick. He said, I would give a hundred guineas if I could just say, oh, like Mr. Whitfield. So many people wanted to hear him speak. Oftentimes, thousands would show up. And there wouldn't be a church in the town large enough to hold them all. So he'd have to find himself preaching in a field. It was said of Whitfield that his voice could carry a country mile. Because the crowds were so large who would come to listen to him speak. It's said that the spiritual revival that he ignited here in America, the Great Awakening, it became one of the most formative events in our American history. On one of his tours of the States, his last sermon was given at Boston Commons before 23,000 people. It was likely the largest gathering in American history to that point. But what I love the most about Whitfield is that it was an if moment that set this preacher's heart ablaze. It was an if moment that called this guy to devote his life to preaching the word of God. 
And in this series that we're in right now on this word, if, we are looking at some of the ideas of of how this very small word, two-letter word, can have such large implications in our lives. This morning, I want to look at a phrase, a very short phrase, as if. As if. We're going to talk about what that means in, in our lives But before we do, last week we talked about another phrase. We talked about the phrase, if only. If you weren't here last week, you can get that online. You can download that, listen to that online. Because we talked about this idea of the regrets of the things in our past and the impact they can still have on us today. We reflect on the idea that if we don't learn how to effectively move past them, it can steal from us all that what-if potential that God has put inside every single one of us. We, uh, we met in a small group, my wife and I, last week, and it was talking all about this idea of if-only regrets, and it was such a great conversation we had. We were talking about how freeing we all found it to, to realize that we don't have to live in condemnation, that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You know, during this series, we're trying to encourage as many people as possible to, to get together and talk about these messages, and, and if you're not connected to a small group, there are still some available. Talk to Andy Brown this morning in the foyer. He can tie you in. There are some ladies that are meeting. There are some couples, some families, so, so check out Andy in the foyer and ask him about that. But sometimes, even though we talked about the past last week, and next week we're going to get into the future a little bit, there's still this hang-up in the middle, and, and as if is often the cause. Before I jump into exactly what that means, let's go back to Whitfield real quick because I'm going to show you that moment that his heart was set ablaze. You see, Whitfield himself, he tells a story of how he heard the Archbishop of Canterbury talking one day about a conversation that he'd had with a famous actor. The Archbishop explained that he was talking with um, an actor of the time, Mr. Butterton. You probably remember some of his movies. He was quite famous back then. Mr. Butterton. <laughs> it's the 1700s. Some, some of you are getting it. <laughs> he couldn't understand why the audiences at that time, watching the actors on these stages, were so captivated of them as they were speaking of things imaginary. And yet they seemed so disengaged on a Sunday morning in the churches. And the Archbishop of Canterbury asked Mr. Butson about this. He said, why, my Lord? The reason is very plain. We actors on stage speak of things imaginary as if they were real. You in the pulpit speak of things real as if they were imaginary. It was that as if, as if they were real, as if they were imaginary, that as if statement that hit Whitfield like a bullseye. Whitfield told the story that when he heard the Archbishop of Canterbury share this story, he is said to have shouted, therefore I will not be a velvet-mouthed preacher. Something just set a, fl- a fire inside of Whitfield where he's like, I don't want to be, I, I want to preach the word of God. I want to tell people about Jesus as if it were real, not as if it were imaginary. I love that phrase there from Whitfield. It says, therefore, I will not be a velvet-mouthed preacher. That word, therefore, can be very significant, can't it? For Whitfield, that therefore was a call to action, a decision to live and preach as if he was carrying the most important message you can think of, which he was. He decided, therefore, I will preach as if people's eternity depended upon it. And it does. So this morning I would ask you, what's your therefore? Have you had a moment where you, there was just something that you decided, I've got to do something about this. 
I've got to do, this isn't right. Therefore, I will make a difference. It's become your driving force, your call to action, the thing that you would go to the grave fighting for. I discovered this week that there are 1,220 therefores in Scripture. In the Bible, 1,220 uses the word therefore, and they're keys to important phrases. I heard someone say once, whenever you find a therefore, find out what it's there for. Romans 8 has been kind of the key scripture that we've really been building this series, If, around. And if you've not read that chapter yet, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a fantastic chapter. And it starts off in verse 1 with the word, therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We talked about that last week. But then right in the middle of Romans 8, there's another therefore. And verse 11 is a call to action. Sorry, verse 12. Because the first 11 verses, Paul is describing all that God has done for us by sending Jesus. And then in verse 12, he jumps into this phrase, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And Paul continues to go on in verses 13 onwards about what it looks like to live for Christ, how we can experience life in Christ and how we can live for him. I love this kind of therefore hinge in the middle of the chapter. The first 11 verses talking about what God has done for us and then the next part, what God expects from us. It's a wonderful chapter. But some of you may focus back on that verse there in verse 12 and you see that word, we have an obligation. And maybe that's um, a negative connotation for you here this morning. You're thinking, well, I'm not sure if I want to be stuck with an obligation. We think of it as a duty, something we may not really want to do. But, but obligation is really just a response to something. Almost 18 years ago, we had a baby. My wife and I, we had a son. His name was Ben. He's here this morning in his homecoming outfit looking very sharp. We've had two more since then. So for the last 18 years, I've had an obligation to raise these children, to provide for them, to be a good dad. Now, I've got to be honest. In the last 18 years, I've never thought of it as an obligation. I love it. I love my kids. I love spending time with them. If you doubt that, come to a soccer match one night. I'm the announcer. And I am unashamedly willing to admit that if a Jane boy scores, the announcer gets a little bit more excited than if anyone else scores. <laughs> yes, it's an obligation, but I don't look at it like an obligation. I look at it as a relationship that I'm thrilled to have. I have an obligation to be a good husband to my wife, but I don't do that out of an obligation. I do that because I love Casey to pieces. I enjoy being her husband, and that's the kind of relationship we have with God. If we understand what Jesus did for us, it's not an obligation of a duty. It's an obligation like, I can't help myself. I want to give back to a God who's given so much to me. Jesus did this for me, therefore I want to do this for him. And many of us have discovered that, that what-if potential, that destiny, that purpose, in just the same way that Whitfield knew he had to preach. But some of us are still a little bit hung up. Some of us, we know God's got destiny and purpose for our lives, but we still get caught sometimes. And I think it's because we haven't fully understood this idea of as if. I want to kind of focus in on this this morning, because in Romans 8.37, Paul says this. He says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
I love that verse. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say in all these things we are conquerors. That would still be cool. It says we are more than conquerors. I studied that word this week in the, in the Greek to figure out exactly what it means. And one translation describes it this way. It says it describes a lopsided victory in which the enemy or opponent is completely routed. It reminded me of our homecoming game against Pekin on Friday night. Just, I, I apologize to the members of Pekin community who are here today, but it was a lopsided victory in which Pekin was completely routed. Um, but just be honest with me for a second here, because that's a great verse to read, isn't it? But how many of you wake up each morning and say, I am going to be, I'm not just going to be a conqueror today. I am going to be more than a conqueror. Monday, you will be a lopsided victory in my favor today. And then the kids wake up late and they're arguing and they're fighting and they're late for school. And they forgot to make their lunch and the line's longer than normal. That one person hasn't pulled forward and really they just need to pull all the way forward. It would be so much easier if they did. And then someone cuts you off on the way to work and then you've got that first meeting in the morning. It's with that one person that just gets on your nerves. Everything they say. So, and suddenly you realize it's not even 10 o'clock and every intention I had this morning of being more than a conqueror is out the window. I'm not even sure if Jesus loves me right now because I, I'm in such a bad mood. And life just catches up with us, doesn't it? It just kind of knocks us back. And that's kind of comical, but the reality is there are other things in our lives where we look at ourselves in the mirror and we think, I'm not sure if I see a conqueror. I'm a pastor of a church, but I still fall short of the standard that Jesus set for his followers in my life on a regular basis. I'm a dad, but there have been moments when something's happened with one of my kids and and I just wish I could take back what I said or what I did. I'm a husband, and although Casey posts some lovely pictures of us together on Instagram, she'll be the first to tell you that there's still some work going on here to be a better husband. However, according to the Bible, when I read about who I am in Scripture, I'm told I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm a fellow heir with Christ, a saint, a new creature in Christ, God's workmanship created to produce good works. I'm more than a conqueror and much, much more. And every one of you here this morning, you are too. When I read those verses, it doesn't just say Dave Jane. It's, it's talking to all of us, to all of God's people. But how often do you feel like that? Too often we lose sight of who we are instead of who God sees us. There was a story I heard once of a, a school in San Francisco, and they tried an experiment there. They pulled in these three teachers, and they said, we've, um, we've, we've pulled you aside because for the next year, we're going to give you a very special class, some hand-picked students, because we've actually identified that you are our three best teachers in the school. You are the best we've got. So we're going to take the three of you, and we've selected 90 students who are the best students in the school. So we're going to have you three, the best teachers, teach these 90 students, the best students, and we're going to see how they do at the end of the year when we pull those together. So the year comes to an end, and they they take a look at these kids' grades, and and they check it out. All of their grades had increased 20 or 30% over the grades from the students across the district. They pulled these teachers in and said, great job. They said, we've got a little bit of confession to make. Those kids we selected... Nothing special about them at all. We just kind of randomly went through and selected 90 kids. You were just teaching regular kids. So then the teachers are like, wow, 
we, we must be good because they were regular kids and look how well they did. They said, we've got another confession. You're not the best teachers. <laughs> you were the first three names we pulled out of a hat. <laughs> but when you thought you were the best and you were teaching them because you thought they were the best, it brought more out of them. The German poet and playwright Johann Wolfgang van Goethe or something, he said, treat a man as he is and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he can be and he should be, and he will become as he can be and should be. There was no one who modeled this idea better than Jesus. The Pharisees, if you read in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Pharisees, they treated people as they were. Jesus treated people as they could be. He saw the best in some of the worst people. And if you think about it, that makes sense. After all, no one knew the God-given potential like the one who gave it to them in the first place. If all you ever do is point out what your kids do wrong, you know what you're always going to see in them? What they do wrong. When you praise what they do right, you start to see more and more of the positive that's in them. And the same is true in every relationship of our lives. And as we learned last week, even with our relationship with God. God isn't at a computer keyboard with his finger hovering over the smite button, just waiting for us to do something wrong. He sees all this potential wrapped up in us, even sometimes before we do. And he is cheering us on. That's who we are this morning. So we need to start living as if that's who we are. That we are more than conquerors. You see, I think this morning some of us, we have an identity problem. We don't understand. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, some of us, we've not connected yet with who our identity really is in Jesus. Now, our identity comes from a lot of different places, doesn't it? Your name identifies who you are, and names have meanings. For example, Dave means man of good looks, wit, and charm. Um, I'm pretty sure what that means. I've never looked it up, but that's what I think it means. Um, but our names do have meaning, and some names can influence the way we live our lives. But in, in, in all reality, our names don't specifically identify our identity. That comes more from our, our situations in life, our upbringing, whether we had a great upbringing, a, a solid family, maybe a broken family affected our identity. And, and we see this in our relationships and relationships with others, that our identity can very much be formed through our situations in our life. But we learned last week that if we allow Jesus to be a part of our lives... If you're here this morning, you've never asked Jesus to be a part of your life, to be the Lord of your life. If, he will, if we will follow him, if we'll give him the reins, we become a new person. We read this verse last week, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. It's like a factory reset. All the... Old is wiped clean. We are brand new. Even the junk tied to our identity. But if we really want to, to move into that what-if potential that God has given every single one of us, we have to live as if the old has gone and the new has begun. That's where we find our identity. And at the end of Romans 8, Paul tells us how we can become more than conquerors. He says, here's why. We are more than conquerors. It's because it's through him who loved us. Him who loved us. We sang an amazing song earlier. Uh, the band did about our identity, about who we are. and Just understand just how much God loves us. 
Listen to what he said at the end of Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, that's a lot of stuff, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of us need to start living our lives as if God loves us in this way and as if we understand and realize and believe how loved we are by God. And I know that that that's hard for some of us to to understand, some of us to believe. But listen, God's love is not based on how lovable I am. It's based on how loving he is. God's love is beyond our wildest imagination. This means we're not defined by our worst movements on our darkest days. We are defined by the one who loves us. You know, I've thought a lot this week about this guy, Ken Williamson. Dear friend of mine, charismatic, funny guy. Just an ordinary looking guy, nothing really about him that, that would draw people. But there was just something, when you got to know that guy, he was just had this infectious personality and charisma. And I just was, I was working on my message this week. And I realized the more I worked on this message, the more I understood that Ken knew exactly who he was in Jesus. He was living as if he was more than a conqueror, as if he was loved by God, as if he had a plan and a purpose. And it came out in every ounce of his life. At 64 years old, he died way too young in my opinion. But I feel like that guy did more in 64 years than some of us could do in in two or three lifetimes that long. Because like George Whitfield, he was passionate about Jesus. He wants to share that message with as many as possible. He, he helped raise me up because he had a passion to see it not just happen in England, but around the world. He was excited to see ACE teams grow in America. He was excited to see uh, Casey and I's journey and ministry and, and where God was taking us. And I can see, I can, I can trace that back in my relationship with Ken, all back to this idea of his identity, him understanding who he was in Jesus, that he was more than a conqueror, that he'd had that therefore moment, therefore I have to to share what God has done with me. It changed his life. And I want you this morning as you leave, we're gonna sing that song one last time right before we leave because I don't want any of you this morning to, to leave not realizing that you are more than conquerors. I want you to live as if you are more than conquerors, as if you are everything that God has called you to be. And if you've never asked Jesus to be a part of your life, don't let another day go by. He will change you from the inside out. He will change even your identity. Some of the stuff in the past, it'll still be there, the memories, some of that pain. But even as John and Chrissy shared this morning, even in the darkest times, God can still take that and use that to help with others but he wants to change the way you see yourself so that you can live your uh, just a different life